Should I have spooky music to start the show? Absolutely, Steve. Find some. Some spooky music to start that stack of books. I'm Steve Scher. I'm Nancy Pearl. Special guest. Marcy Silman. Room full of folks at the Brian Corner Cafe. Before we get to our topic, which is mysteries. mysteries, you wanted to make us cry. So we talked about sad books, um, melancholy books. We, talk, we included children's books, adult books, and I think many of us have spent all week thinking about other sad books that we didn't bring up. The Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit, for one. Um, the House of Mirth, Edith Wharton. Um, the Yearling. You know, we could go on and on and on. We could have an endless show, that stack of depressing books. <laughs> <laughs> but I happened to pick up a book that there's been a lot of um, buzz about, many, many, many good reviews. And I, I was afraid when I started it. I said to somebody, I'm, oh, I, I said to Roz. Roz and I had breakfast, lunch together. And I said, Roz, I'm afraid to read this book because I'm probably going to hate it and everybody else loved it. And I hate being in that position. Do you remember? <laughs> so I started reading um, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. And I, I was, I the reason I thought that I would not like it is that I was afraid that I would feel manipulated by it, which, emotionally manipulated, which I think is one of the problems with depressing books. I, I, I this is an amazing book, and I, I have to, I just, you know, want to give everybody a chance. I just want to encourage everybody to read it. Um, he, uh, Paul Kalanithi, I think is how you pronounce it, was. Um, 36 years old, a neurosurgeon at Stanford uh, Medical Center when he was diagnosed with very late stage um, multiple cancers. And this is an account of not only his death, but how he chose to become um, a surgeon when part of him really wanted to be an English professor. And he did his master's thesis on, um, on the medicalization of Walt Whitman as seen in his poetry, which is, uh, the writing in this book is absolutely um, just, just magnificent, not overblown, not just the, uh, the use of language and the quotations that he includes really were were absolutely um, pretty remarkable. I I think that um, all the great books about death and dying, um, um, uh, Newland's book, um, How We Die, I think is one of those, Being Mortal, is another one, and I think this one belongs with those those two books. There are two things. The, there's a foreword um, in this book by Abraham Verghese, the the, which I did not think was necessary. And there's an afterword in the book by his wife, uh, by Paul Kalanithi's widow, which ties everything up. I didn't think either one of those. I didn't see the point of either one of them. It, it for me, it it would have been enough to just have a page, that's you know that said Paul Kalanithi died, you know um, when he did, uh, without that extra tying everything up neatly. But all in all, this is a pretty remarkable book, and I highly highly recommend it. But I think you are gonna cry. Yeah. Did you? I, I, I didn't, 
I didn't cry. I, I was sad that the world lost this um, interesting, intelligent, um, by all accounts, marvelous surgeon um, and person. All right, uh, we'll transition. Okay. Marcy, you, you, this was your idea. Mysteries. I know, Why? but I'm now thinking of sad books about death, Charlotte's Web. <laughs> right. Um, well, well, you could say that, um, that death, death is a mystery. Death is a mystery, and in every mystery novel, people die. Not every. Not every? Gaudy Knight. Gaudy Knight, nobody Gaudy, dies. Gaudy Knight is the nobody one dies. mystery without a murder. Dorothy Sayers. Yes. I think the first great feminist mystery. Totally. I, I think one of my favorites. And Do you know what year that was written? Um, I think the 30s, or I think er, the early 30s. We can check. I don't think the 20s. It was a great book. I loved it. Harriet Vane. Did any of you guys read that book? Yep. Yep. Gowdy Knight. Yes. You've, everybody's read it. Eight thumbs up. Okay, for that one. I like it, but I'm, I told Nancy that I'm obsessed with a series of mysteries right now that I found by randomly browsing shelves and they're set in the Adirondacks and they're ridiculous but I like character driven mysteries and these are uh, an Episcopalian female priest and a, and a male chief of police um, and the author is Julia Spencer Fleming I believe yes. and, and all the titles are biblical because she's a priest, but they're not really priesty, and they're not really um, religious, and they have, and they're totally like page turners, and then book turners because she leaves you hanging at the edge of, of everyone. So I think I've read seven of them in the last three weeks. But Marcy, wouldn't you say that unlike some series, you really have to read it? It's better for the reader to read them in order. You must read these yes. in order. You, right. But I feel like that's true of Elizabeth George's Lindley Mysteries. They have to be read in order, don't they? I think they add, I think you get um, an added value if you read them in order. But I think there's enough, um, she does a good, Elizabeth George does an excellent job catching you up unobtrusively. Because each book is 800 yeah. pages long? <laughs> I like that in a book. I like to be caught up in that yeah. world and and never be let go of. But I think that it started with Nancy Drew, you know, for me. I've just been hooked on it. Really the reason, Nancy, is that it's really good to tell. You can tell who's good. You can tell who's bad. And there's some sort of resolution by right. the end of the book. That's why I like mysteries. Right. And, and they're you, not as sad. Right. <laughs> Some are really sad. Yeah, some are. Yeah, Elizabeth George kills off her main characters with regularity. Yeah, it's it's really not not good. But I, uh, but you know that's why people read westerns yeah. is because you have the black hats and the white hats. You know exactly who's good and who's bad, and because they're they're tight. You know the ending. There's a there's a real resolution. Romances are the same. It's true. I. I'm not really into horses, so maybe that's why I don't like westerns. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure we can find a western that doesn't rely on a horse. <laughs> are, there are there romances that also qualify as mysteries that you can think of? I mean, I know many romances have mysteries in them, but that's oh, yeah, a little many. different. I would say that this series by yes. Julia Spencer Fleming, right. Had, right. I think that they're marketing some of them as romance. Right. Um, but they're a little more complicated although nothing ever gets resolved in these books. Um, 
I just like it because she's a good enough writer that I can see what everybody looks like, where they are, and what they're doing. Well, I, you know, Steve, um, all of the Dorothy Sayers, after she introduced Harriet Vane into the series, are all romances. And the last one she wrote was called Busman's Honeymoon. Um, uh, what is it? There's a great subtitle with that. Um, uh, something like a love story interrupted by murder or something something on that on that, well, that after lord peter whimsy asks her for five books to marry him or something like yeah, that yes. she finally right she finally acquiesces in, in rowdy night in latin wait in latin don't forget in latin in latin right in latin because would that we could all do that <laughs> yes well now you're making me think of um the I can't remember her real name. She writes, wrote Mysteries as Amanda Cross. and those Car- were, Carolyn Heilbrunn. And those were very erudite books as well. Totally. So, so um, um, Amanda Cross's series features um, an English professor, uh, a professor of English at um, NYU or Columbia, some, one of the big New York schools. Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. Yeah, Carolyn Heilbrunn taught at Columbia, and she wrote this series of mysteries featuring um, a professor of English named Kate Fanshaw, who solves all sorts of um, of mysteries that have, in the later ones, have to do with um, uh, poets or or you know some there's some literary. Uh, you know, facet to it. But in the first one, which is called In the Last Analysis, which has always been my favorite, um, I, I think that if you can find that in, it's in paperback and read that first one especially, that's always been my favorite. I think they became less mystery novels as the time went on. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I've read them, but I liked them because because my mother was an English professor, so they yeah. kind of reminded me of her. Yeah, Less and mystery and more what? Um, more sort of erudite, um, uh, academic, a novel of academia, maybe. Right. Or the academic. backstabbing or, and the, and well, the plotting? Not, no, not so much that. It's more upper class um, repartee, you know, more aren't I smart, aren't you yeah. smart, aren't we smart together, <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, let's get married, you know, and then, and then, and then they do, do you remember? But the first one in the last analysis, it's called that because one of Kate's students gets murdered, um, stabbed on her psychiatrist's couch. And it's really, 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 really wonderful. See, all I can remember are, are the authors, and Nancy can actually remember Only the plot some. intricacies. <laughs> I can't do that. Well, what are you reading in a mystery series right now? Well, I, I'm, I'm looking for a new... I'm looking for a new series, or I'm looking for um, a new author, or I'm looking for an author that I read long enough ago that I really want to go back and and reread it. Um, But I was saying before we began taping that I've just started selling my, my Agatha Christie, my mysteries, because I feel like now, if I want to reread one of them, which I do with great regularity, I can really check it out of the library. I don't need to use up valuable bookshelf space, real estate, yes. real estate on, um, on Agatha Christie. Do you like Agatha Christie's books? 
I, I do. I, I like them because I have never been able to figure out who done it before the end. I like them because I think she is one of the, the best storytellers. I mean, she is someone, I mean, there's no characters, I mean, there's no character development in those books. You know, um, Hercule Poirot is a collection of his habits and his tics. You know, the, 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 you know, he's no more than his mustache and his tisanes, or however you pronounce it, um, and his egg-shaped face. So there's nothing there, but gosh, those those she's a devilishly good storyteller. Have you heard of um, Madge? Uh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So Shoal. Yes. From the sixties and Pear and Pear Walu. Yeah. They wrote together a Swedish husband and wife who wrote a terrific series. I mean, these were the first Pear P E R Walu W A H L O O, and then. M-A-J-S-J-O-W-A-L-L. And I think they recently have been brought back into, I mean, they go in, they're in print and then they're out of print, then, but they are from the 60s. But don't you think they're back in print because all of a sudden yes. Scandinavian mystery novels right. are hot? Right, yeah. yeah. And they were the, they were the early, well, yeah, they were the I don't know. I must, I Scandinavian think. noir Right. Ones that became really popular, despite the fact that no one can pronounce the author's name. Carol, when were they published? Do you know? The one I read was from '66. Yeah, but I read just a couple ago. weeks. They ago. were in 66. the '60s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they. She predates, I think, Joe Nesbro and some of oh, the other ones wait. that have started to be translated regularly. And I remember just falling in love. And I think I still have the original black and white paperbacks that were published by maybe Penguin on my bookshelf. I'm gonna yeah. have to look for these. I yeah. Think. They're, yeah, they're yeah, really... you'd like them, Marcy. Yeah. I'm they're, sure you'd like them. Anybody have a series that they've been following? Hi, I'm Maureen. I'm wondering what you think about Alan Bradley and Flavia. I, well, I read... Yes, you read... You I read, did? Yeah, the, the Fla, I say Flavia. I don't know whether it's yeah, Flavia Deleuze, the 11-year-old girl... Um, living in a big house, and oh, Marcy, no, you'd love that. Those. Marcy, so, you've never read those? Mm -mm, never I, even heard um, of them. No, we talked about the Marcy. <laughs> See, I have Swiss no, cheese. No, the author is Alan Bradley. Alan, one L, Alan Bradley, one L Bradley. Okay. But um, I thought, I, uh, Maureen, I thought the first one was just wonderful. You know, it's a wonderfully bright um, ten-year-old girl with two older sisters, and they live in a big old house. Her mother has died, and and her father is a little bit. Um, a little bit woolly, woolly headed, wouldn't you say? I mean, he's not that interested in his daughters. And then they find a, a Flavia finds a body on the grounds of the house. And she's 11? Yeah, she's 11. Oh, it's so Poor wonderful. Girl. And then she has PTSD? What happens? My no, goodness. she finds out who did it. Marcy, it's a mystery. It's, it's a not mystery. a war story. It's a mystery. <laughs> You're making me think of Harriet the Spy. <laughs> yeah. Flavia does owe, owe something to Harriet the Spy, for sure. I, I just discovered, I was at Seattle Mystery Bookstore, and as always, I'm asking people for character-driven recommendations. And I read books, I think Nancy didn't like them, but I did by a guy, a Scottish writer named Peter May, and they're set on um, 
the outer Hep- in the outer Hebrides on the outer Hebrides, which is the right <laughs> word. I don't know. There. That's interesting. And, and there's such amazing evocations of this island in the middle of the North Atlantic. It made me want to go there. It's a trilogy, and and they were really quite something. The first one, I think, maybe first the second one is probably the best, but really so character and place driven. It's about this guy who leaves that island become, to become a police detective, and he get, gets married, and he and his wife have a child, and the son is killed, which rips his life apart, and he goes back to the Outer Hebrides to sort of put himself back together, and then mysteries happen while he's there. People are murdered, but it's really about him, and it's about the place, and it makes me want to go there. That's where Tartan Plaid is from. Hmm. It, so who knew? If you've ever gone there, it's like you go to the Isle of Skye, and then you just keep going. You go further west. Wait, you've been there? Yes, I've been there in, in the 70s. <laughs> and it, I was so excited when I found the Lewis Man, which was one of the books. Yes, oh, see, so you've read these. it's one island, but it has two names because there's like a mountainous area in the middle, and it's called Lewis and Harris. And Harris Suite, of course, is where, yeah. yeah. So I was there in the 70s, but I couldn't believe I found a mystery that took place because it, it, like, totally captured the place didn't it he, he, he was ra- the main character was raised on lewis and so he understands lewis in a way that i liked it because it had a gaelic glossary <laughs> and, I, and and with pronouncers so i could you know try to speak gaelic out loud you ever heard of charles todd do you like him he's his mystery set in victorian england right no, World War One. World War One. That's right. World War One. I, I loved again. I'm going to sound like a broken record. I I loved the first couple of the Charles Todd ones because he's um, he's now come. I, I, he was a soldier in World War One. His best friend, remember, was shot for cowardice. Was killed. Um, because he was um, deemed to be a coward, and that man, his friend, has now has now kind of is always in the main character's head, and so he's acting. I mean, not in a weird, yucky way, but in a way that really brings to light, it makes you think about World War One, another view of World War One. It's but, a little weird. That's a little contrived as it gets along. In yeah. The but don't you think that's the big issue is is trying to sustain yes. something beyond a certain? Right. See, Judy. Ju- Judy has something to say. I'm so glad both of you raised that. I'm Judy, because that's my problem with mysteries. Is I will read something that somebody recommended. I will think it's marvelous I just a few examples the first Lori King Beekeeper's Apprentice or the first Maisie Dobbs etc etc the first number one ladies detective agency I will fall in love with them and then I will get a second and think well yeah okay and then I'll get the third and the fourth and then I am completely bored and frustrated and give up and so then I have to keep finding new ones which you know I go through phases and I'll go literally years without reading any mysteries for that very reason and I know I'm missing good stuff but you know sometimes they sort of ebb and flow and I'm thinking of Sarah Paretsky who Hmm. started off great with V.I. Warshawski and then really in my mind went downhill and the last couple of books she's put out have been better 
But it turns out it's because Paretsky had has really bad back problems, and I I can't remember if she had back surgery. Something happened where she alleviated the pain. So, you know, those things that we don't know as readers sometimes affect the book. So, yeah, I, I'm usually pretty dogged about keeping on. Oh, I see. I I, I cut my losses. <laughs> Um, and, and sometimes I really want to write to the author and say, you know, those first three books were so good. Stop. You know, just just rest on your head. Yeah, quit while you're ahead. Rest on your laurels um, because, you know, you deserve them. But just let it go. But I have not ever written a letter like that. Don't you want to say that sometimes to somebody after their first book? Just oh, in general? Yeah, in general. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, no. I, I think if I liked a first book, then I, I really want to see what they do with their second book. I meant if you didn't like. Oh, if I didn't book. like, well, I don't finish it then. This is Carol. I would like to speak up for the people who beg them to never die and to keep writing more books about, because we fall in love with the characters. Absolutely. You know, we totally fall in love, and we forgive the, the you know. I mean, we're, we're equally bad about some TV dramas, but. You know, we just fall in love and become part of our family, and we just want them to keep writing forever. So who who, was, who exemplifies that for you? Well, I, I'm, you know, I go back and forth, but then I catch up on Sarah Paretsky because I won't read two or three, and then I'll read about all. Then now I'm current again. And um, I don't know. I, I, I keep begging Craig Johnson. I don't know if, if that fits in your category of people who – but I just love the – there's a little bit of, they, they're, they're formulaic, but they invent their own formula, and I fall in love with the formula as well. Huh. So Charles Todd, I like, I'm, I'm always fascinated between, about England, what I call between the wars, whether it's Dorothy Sayers or um, Macy Dobbs or Charles Todd, but I, I don't like his, new, his other characters. He started some other characters that he started writing about, and they're just nothing. They're just nothing compared to the tortured former captain lieutenant that comes back from world war one and his version of shell shock is he's got this guy in his head you know so but i, I forgive even some mediocre books because i love lo i love to revisit say i i even uh, spencer yeah. or you got really mad at elizabeth george well, a few books back well i'm not sure if you've kept up reading her or not no i do still i do what, what really what i got I was yeah. sad. Should I say? I, you, she killed somebody. Oh, oh. no. I just was shocked mad. that she would do that. And then I had to admire her. I mean, it was an emotional shock to end the book with... With a beloved character With a beloved dying. character lying on her doorstep, dying, you know, dead. It was... It, it was. was. My eye is twitching from the memory <laughs> of that. I'm very... My goodness. Um... So I wasn't, I mean, you know, you've got to let an author do what an author has to do to keep a series, keep, keep her interested in, her, in, in <laughs> writing her own series. But, um, but it is true that something went out of, of my enjoyment of those books, knowing that this character was not going to be around. Nancy, a few weeks ago, you made a wonderful distinction between a mystery and a thriller. Right. Seems like a good week for you to refresh us on that. So I, this was something that um, the, the thriller writer, oh my gosh, 
what is her name? She's from Philadelphia, and her her main character is a woman named Benny Rosado oh. at the law at the law Linda, firm. Uh, no, no, Linda. Oh my goodness! But she said we we I was doing an interview with her, and she said that the difference between a mystery and a thriller is that in a in a mystery the main character is not at personal risk; that it's really a puzzle. And that the but in a thriller the main character is frequently at risk. Uh, Kathy, last week when you uh, mentioned, or a week or so ago when you mentioned we were going to be doing mysteries, you had said we were going to do trashy mysteries, and I was trying to think what that might mean. My go-to mystery writers would be people like Anne Cleves or Louise Penny were the successors to P.D. James, and I figured they didn't qualify. I editorially decided that trashy might get us in trouble, and so I edited you to be <laughs> mysteries. I said trashy, right? Oh, okay. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I went with the trashy mystery thing. Do you want to hear them? Yeah. So I had a little trouble. Well, the writers who hear this will be writing you saying, how right. dare you call my mysteries trashy? Well, this is from oh. Kathy, whose, whose Twitter handle who is. Not, <laughs> who is not. Who is not. Steve or, or Nancy. Well, I was pretty loose with the definition of trashy. I, I, put, I said, gratuitous violence, characters that are more Hollywood than real, stunning or brilliant, and grotesque villains, um, and then um, and a disproportionate emphasis on story rather than character or language. And then I listed three in ascending order to least trashy. Now. Am I going to get you in trouble? No, do <laughs> I, it. I think you should start with three and go up to the trashiest. Yeah, yeah the trashiest. Yeah. All right, I, I'll do that. The, the, um, a recent read for me was Norwegian by Night by Derek D., uh, B. Miller. It's his first novel, and he's a researcher, American living in Oslo for the United Nations Institute for Disarmament. But he has written uh, a novel, a mystery, uh, it's a police procedural in which the main character is an 82-year-old widower from Brooklyn who has been uprooted by his daughter and ta- granddaughter and taken to Oslo. And it's a novel that deals with grief and loss and aging and culture shock. Doesn't sound very trashy. Well, <laughs> it, is there sex? Uh, well, this is a, this was the least trashy as defined by you didn't give me a definition so I gave you mine what's your next one go up in order go all right Uh, Terry Hayes who is a screenwriter uh, for Mad Max and he's successful but that kind of film and he's written his first novel I am Pilgrim it's very cinematic it is about a retired intelligence officer who is the adopted son very mysterious of a very wealthy man who helps solve a very uh, graphic and horrible mystery. So what's the trashiest one? The trashiest, well, now I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Only because it is, it's John Darton's uh, Neanderthal, and it's the oldest of the books. It was written in 1996, and it's a mystery about a uh, Harvard archaeologist who's disappeared. Harvard archaeologist, not trashy. <laughs> Let me read you the first line, though. Okay, so this, and this has, I promise you, absolutely nothing to do with the story. Akbar Attila, 
I rest my case. <laughs> Akbar Attila rested his AK-47 against a tree trunk and moved away from the campfire in search of a place to relieve himself. And when I tell you... <laughs> what, what, what were you thinking? When you said trashy, what were you thinking? I was thinking of those Stephanie Plum novels. And, um, and that's trashy mystery. And um, gosh, there's so many. I mean, pretty much these Julia Spencer Fleming ones. Nobody's a professor of anything. Well, see, I, I thought... I love mysteries. I thought trashy mysteries was an oxymoron, but you know I'm okay. very compliant. Right. I'm so with you I, oh with no, that. no! I, I I think that we just do ourselves a disservice as readers by categorizing books in trashy or not. I would say that John Darton's Neanderthal is badly written, and on any level, it's it's not a good book. I mean that should be. And and I am Pilgrim is badly written. To call a read trashy, to call a book trashy, is really to, I, I mean, it's you, just what, what you like and what you don't like and not some big general thing. I think of them as my bonbon reads. They're books that don't tax my brain. That's different than trashy, Marsh. Right, that's good. Look, look at... It right. is delicious. Right, especially now in this political season, but I won't say anything else. Kind of a blast from the past, but... Uh, uh, has anyone read the Harry Kemmelman series, oh, yeah. the Rabbi series? Right. Yes, those were fun. Uh, I, I used to devour them in the 70s. I, I actually lived in the area, and, and everyone sort of knew that when he talked about Swamp Dale, he was talking about Swamp Scott and <laughs> places like that. I, 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 really enjoyed, I really enjoyed those. I thought they were fairly decently written. But that's a series you know, that begins with Friday the Rabbi Slept Late. And if you haven't read that, that's a wonderful, that's really a very clever, it's just a smart, smart mystery. But those two, those also, I think, went downhill. And, and the last four or five just weren't, as good. Well, you're reminding me of the writer Faye Kellerman, uh-huh. who started a great series, right. and I loved them, and then, and then I lost interest. Mm-hmm. So they started off as Eclairs and became rain. Hershey bars. Yeah. <laughs> this is Leslie, and, and I usually cringe about cozies, but there's a series that I have gone all the way through. This is a Rita, Rita Mae Brown series about and Sneaky Pie Brown, Sneaky Pie being her cat. We have two corgis, and those dogs have a lot of personality, and the protagonists in in these books are uh, two cats and a corgi, and they're very entertaining because they're all written from the animal's point of views, and and, and they're they're quite uneven, but, but they're also set in a community very much like one that I lived in from about fifth grade through 11th grade, and, and uh, so it's to me, it's really fun. I'm kind of looking back on places that I lived and, and uh, trying to live through the eyes of the, of the animals. Rita Mae Brown, I booked her for you for an interview back in the 80s. Right, and Rita Mae Brown lives on a farm, which is why she loves animals so much. Which brings up that whole subject of we like these books that are about the places where we live, and I don't think that's limited to mysteries. No, I, 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 don't, I, I would agree. Yeah. It's not. Right. This is Carol. We were talking about the difference between mystery and, th- and thrillers, but I think there's sort of a middle ground called crime novels. Yes. Because like Spencer, I mean, I, you know, Robert Parker. I love I mean, those. I mean, talk about a, candy, a box of candy, bonbons, you know. You feel like you should be on a fainting couch, you know, reading your way through the whole, the whole series because they're just so, they're so luscious to read even though they're not anything like literature. So, yeah, I mean, if you've, 
I mean, but they're not really thrillers. They're not really mysteries. They're there's a whole you know bunch well, of things that are clearly crime novels. Well, it's only I think in the states that we make a distinction between thrillers and mysteries. Um, in 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 England, they're just called crime novels. If you want to muddle up uh, thrillers versus mysteries, think of Graham Greene. Yeah. He wrote thrillers on the side. Right. You know, comparable now, uh, John Banville, who's probably right. the best stylist in the English, English language, right. yeah. has been writing these mysteries under the name Benjamin Black. You know, right. they've got all the cliches. Right. You know, uh, yeah. consistent characters. Didn't the thing just... that's in every thriller or crime novel or whatever you want to call it, there's a dead body somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, with Graham Greene, I mean, he recognized that split in his yeah. oeuvre and would call them, you know, his serious novels and then the entertainments that he wrote. So The Third Man was an entertainment, not to be, you know, in his mind, not at the same Level. Of, yeah, Banville. Banville cranks it back. His, yeah. his mysteries are clearly not written with the care of his novels, but right. then some of his novels contain mysteries within the plots. Right. <laughs> you know, so everything's kind of blurred. You know, when you talk about crime novels, Richard Price. Is there a better novel than Lush Life that portrays a right. real cop? Yeah. There isn't. Oh, no, I, I agree, but Richard yeah. Price then tried to write in a different style. I mean, he's, do you remember he, he, he tried to write, he was tired of writing these literary thrillers, these literary crime novels, and he, he wanted to be like John Banville. I mean, he says this in, in uh, one of his interviews. You know, he wanted to be like John Banville. He wanted to write um, a totally different kind of novel. And he wrote, he started writing a book that became the book The Whites, which is a great thriller if you yeah. haven't read that. And he wanted to publish it under, he got a contract with a different publisher. He wanted to publish it under the name of Harry Brandt. And then he discovered when he wrote it that he couldn't write any other way but as Richard Price. So that the, so that the cover of the book says The Whites by you know, Richard Price writing as Harry Brandt, which you know, just serves to confuse everybody. Well, you're, you're making me think of Walter Mosley also, who, who has a huge, um, he writes his mysteries, but he writes science fiction, he writes nonfiction, um, and he has those very, he's always, I think he's always Walter Mosley. Yeah, I think so but, too. Um, I love those books because they're about more than the mystery. Right. They're, and so those are bonbons because they're well written, but I learned so much. So those are cool. Uh, this is Robin, and I was thinking about um, James Kane and Dashiell Hammett and some of those books as well. But I also had a question for you both about uh, local writers who are writing mysteries. And I don't know much about them, but I think there are a lot of mysteries that are set in Seattle or in the Northwest generally. And do you like any of those writers? I do. I do, actually. Um, and now I'm, uh, GM Ford was writing, Jerry, does he go by Jerry? Mm -hmm. GM Ford um, had a whole series. I'm not sure if he's published any recently. Not, he, he published one in the last few years, but his first one is called Where in the Hell is Juan de Fuca? <laughs> also, um, Earl Emerson, who was a lieutenant in the um, Seattle Fire Department, he lives out in um, Gold Bar or someplace, he... I like the beginning of his books, um, Poverty Bay, I think might have been the first one. 
um, about this this uh, guy named Thomas who lived in the Roosevelt area with, and rode his bike around solving mysteries. Those were really pretty good. But see, he hasn't published anything in no. years and years and years. So this, first I want to say I have to totally confess I've read every Sue Grafton book, including X. I totally loved it. Who are Not this. Sue. Who are you? I'm Roz. So I totally love Sue Grafton. They're not literary, but they're really fun and get attached to her characters and everyone's similar but different. And it's kind of a mix of the, your definition of mystery and thriller because she is solving and looking for clues, but she's definitely in trouble in every book, in and danger. Eating, eating cinnamon, cinnamon rolls. Eating cinnamon rolls? But I just love how flippant and irreverent she is in her sort of her energy but something a little different and speaking of local authors is Carol Casella who's written three books and this is the first I've read all three but this is the first one which is really a medical mystery and she is the author is was an English major but she's an anesthesiologist and in the story in this one the sleuth oxygen, if you want to call her called. that it's called oxygen um is an anesthesiologist and she loses a child, dies on the operating table and she gets blamed and her whole career tanks and everything tanks, but then there's this, there's so more she than figures it out. So there's three. I've only read one. With all different characters. They're all different, they're all different, but they're all female physicians. So the second one takes place maybe in the Yakima Valley in central Washington with immigrants, uh, migrant workers and Native Americans and kind of in a health clinic. Um, the third one has to do with genetics, um, and that's fairly recent in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it's fun because it's you know local places you've heard of, and she's a, a fairly intelligent writer. It's a pretty they're pretty well written, but there's um, a lot more to it than just the mystery. You learn a lot of medical procedures and background. Uh, my name's Nola. And a local author that I've uh, read, two of her books, her name is Judith Daly, and she wrote a book called Animal Vegetable Murder, and it takes place in a delightful area of Seattle called Laurel Mare. And, uh, and, but it's wonderful, and it's an interesting one, and, and, and she has promised another one in that series because she did leave us all hanging. But she wrote another one that is just... A, a one time and it's called Forget You Ever Knew Me and it's just excellent and it is Seattle, Washington State and very, very excellent writing and quite a good mystery. Uh, this is Judy again. Uh, I've got a book that I read and it's part of a sort of series which I think is an interesting mix of now that you've defined the terms mystery and thriller and that's Bridge of Sighs by Olin Steinhauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's set uh, just post-World War II in an unnamed fictional Eastern European country feels like, say, Romania, something like that. And the main character is a brand new police officer. And it is uh, the best word I can describe both the plot and the atmosphere is murky. It is just so murky and tense, and um, he's enmeshed with all sorts of powers way beyond his control or his knowledge. Uh, the next books in the series are 
different decades. So uh, the next one, I believe, is in the 50s and then in the 60s, but all taking place in this same unnamed mythical Eastern European country. So I'm very eager to read the next one. You know, all these uh, series that uh, involve places, they're almost kind of like uh, bonbons. I, you know, I see them, I read them. Uh, I go back and read Ross McDonald. You know, if I'm going to read a series, why don't I go back to Ross McDonald? <laughs> you, know, and, you know, that's how I feel about a lot of, you know, as you see all these different series branching out with different places. I spent a lot of time in Whidbey Island. There are people in Whidbey Island that write Whidbey Island mysteries. <laughs> you know, it's getting out of hand. All right, well, if you're going to do that. Ross McDonald's California as a character. It's a genuinely sinister, evil place. If you're going to do that throwdown, let's, I'm going I'm to start to wrap this, but we'll let Tom talk about the original mystery writer then, right? Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say anything. I'm out of my element. I'm not a mystery reader. Uh, but that the how these stories get put together and where they come from has always fascinated me. And I think it's clear that the detective mystery really comes from Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and without Sherlock Holmes, there wouldn't be all these stories we've been talking about. And what I learned recently was where did Sherlock Holmes come from? And it turns out that, and I think this really, there's good evidence for this, Sherlock Holmes comes from Edgar Allan Poe. In 1840, Edgar Allan Poe wrote what's considered the first American detective mystery called Murders in the Rue Morgue. Uh, and if you, it's very short, <laughs> which I like a lot. Uh, but if you read that, you realize that that's Sherlock Holmes and Edgar Allan Poe really came up with the private detective solving a murder mystery through the careful analysis of clues that the stupid police were missing. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he had a buddy who went along with him who wrote the story but didn't understand what he was doing until it was explained to him step by step. And that's Sherlock Holmes and Edgar Allan Poe invented that kind of story 50 years before Arthur Conan Doyle. And one of the um, other inheritors of Poe, of that um, exact um, uh, layout of a mystery, no a mystery story or mystery novel, is of course Nero Wolfe, uh, Rex Stout's Nero Wolfe, who has um, Archie Goodwin, who does all of the footwork because Nero Wolfe, the eccentric detective, which Sherlock Holmes was an eccentric detective. I mean, all of, all of those similarities. But I would say, I mean, when I go back to reread books, um, I go back to re and reread my Nero Wolfe collection, which I have of just old used paperbacks that I have picked up mm -hmm. over the years. Because again, like Agatha Christie, they're impossible to figure out who done it. He's so smart. I mean, uh, Rex Stout was such a good writer. This is Maureen. I just say I'm grateful for Laurie King for extending the Sherlock Holmes legacy to women and to ha her having Mary having married Sherlock, gotten him into old age. I've always loved Dick Francis. Even though he's horses, I think anybody can read him. <laughs> I like because, him. I mean, he has such good pace. He did totally fall apart for a few years in some very bad books. But his first ten books, I've probably read three or four times each. Just great pace, great characters, great stories always. I, I, I totally agree about his first, I'd say, five. Five mysteries are just unbeatable. And Odds Against is, you, if you've not read Odds Against and Nerve, Nerve was his first one. 
and yeah, that was my that's my sister's favorite mystery by him is reflex. I'm I'm Harold, by the way, and I, I was just thinking I always enjoy um, uh, mysteries or thrillers where the uh, the detective is is working as hard to solve the crime as he is against the system that he's involved in, and the the, the two names that come to mind uh, one I can't remember, uh, but Martin Cruz Smith, yes. uh, trying to solve mysteries in in the Soviet Union. Uh, everything I've read I've read of him has been terrific, and the other is is it Kaminsky 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 yeah Stuart who, who, Kaminsky uh, writes um, not as good as as Martin Cruz Smith, but he has a he has a Russian a Russian detective uh, in uh, most of his books, and he's trying to plod through the system, getting interfered with at every stop. Marcy mentioned um, Walter Mosley's books, and and I think. Really what Walter Mosley has done um, in one of his series, the original series, um, what he's doing is writing a history of race relations in Los Angeles over the t- throughout the 20th century, and it's a pretty impressive. I don't think I don't think Walter Mosley gets enough credit for those um, those books. They're they're really good. A really good writer as well. Really Somebody who really writer. takes the craft really yes. seriously. Yes. I agree with you about Ross McDonald and that's that and that jaded look on uh, the world. So I've, I'm almost finished with this guy's series now. I'm going to end with that because he was a German writer. In the uh, he started in the 80s and he wrote up until uh, until he died. Jacob or Jakob Arjuni, A R J U N I, and he uh, his character is a um, Turkish born, German-raised, living in Germany, constantly being being assaulted by the police, being attacked by the police, being preyed on by the Germans for not being German enough, even though he was born and raised in Germany. And so there's always this outsider looking in to this European culture that doesn't let him be a part of it. Any last words? Uh, just just uh, Van Dyne, the Inspector D books, you know, those are contemporaneous with your Nero Wolf. I don't know if anybody even reads them anymore, even prints them, do they? I, 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 no one has mentioned them, even in all the years that we did. They're music box, Rubik's Cubes kind of books. They're very good. Well, the more we talk, the more series I think of, so no. I mean, I think it's endless. and. I liked Ross McDonald, but I don't agree with you. I think there's always somebody new with a great voice that you're going to find, and you go into a different world, and that's what's so cool about them. And, and I, I would say um, I love Ross McDonald, and I, and I think that his voice, I feel like his voice, as you said, is unique, um, and, and his heart is unique. I mean, his detective is somebody who you know, does what he does because in spite of everything else, he, he wants people to be, he wants there to be goodness in the world. I, I really like Ross McDonald. No, well, what I would say I is if you Ross like McDonald. Ross McDonald, you like Robert Cray, because I, I, I love Robert Cray, and I think his detective wants there to be good in the world as well. See, we just don't agree. No, well, I like some Robert Cray. I like some Robert Craig. <laughs> I love Robert Craig. Good. We'll leave it on a contentious note. At, follow us at That Stack. That's the Twitter. That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Shear. That's the Facebook. Thatstackofbooks.com. That's the website. I'll make sure most all of these books are written down and linked to various fine people in the, in the, uh, in the delivery business. You know, Amazons and the Goodreads and the like. Thank you, Marcy, by the way, for being a special guest. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. Thank you all.